Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the world of Percy Jackson. In this episode we're going to read chapters 27 and 28 and before we go into the recap I'd like to sincerely apologize for uploading really really late this week. I have been a bit busy so it was a bit hard for me to upload um, on time for this week. But I hope you guys will still be able to enjoy this episode to the best uh, and that I am able to provide you guys the entertainment at its best quality so now we're gonna so the recap is that last episode was last last episode we read chapters 25 and 26 and it doesn't take too long for the trio to find phineas as he's fighting with harpies to keep all the food for himself that is centered on a table surrounded by food trucks the trio witness the harpies basically being bullied by phineas the trios, the trio gets so mad at the ill treatment of the harpies that they make a plan in order to find where Thanatos is and possibly give some food to the starving harpies. Because the trio finds out that Phineas likes to gamble. And although he's able to see the future and big events, he's not able to see any small events like games of chance and gambling and all of that. So they try and make a plan where they're going to play some type of gambling game with him where if they win, Phineas has to tell them where Thanatos is and give them possibly some give some ailment, some, ha- some food to the harpies. And if they don't, then we'll just have to see what that punishment is. So now we're going to read chapter 27 to see if Phineas will, carry, will be convinced by this uh, idea and if the trio will be successful with it. So now we're going to read chapter 27, Percy. The old man was right where they left him, in the middle of the food truck, parking lot. He sat on his picnic bench with his bunny slippers propped up, eating a plate of greasy shish kebab. His weed whacker was at his side. His bathroom was smeared with barbecue sauce. Welcome back, he called cheerfully. I hear the flutter of nervous little wings. You've brought me my harpy? She's here, Percy said. But she's not yours. Phineas sucked the grease off his fingers. His milky eyes seemed fixed on a point just above Percy's head. I see. Well, actually, I'm blind, so I don't see. Have you come to kill me, then? If so, good luck completing your quest. I've come to gamble. The old man's mouth twitched. He put down his shish kebab and leaned forward toward Percy. A gamble. How interesting. Information in exchange for the harpy? Winner take all? No. Percy said. The harpy's in part of the deal. Phineas laughed. Ha <laughs> ha! Really? Perhaps you don't understand her value. She's a person, Percy said. She isn't for sale. Oh, please. You're from the Roman camp, aren't you? Rome was built on slavery. Don't get all high and mighty with me. Besides, she isn't even human. She's a monster. A wind spirit. A minion of Jupiter. Ella squawked. Just getting her into the parking lot had been a major challenge, but now she started backing away, muttering, Jupiter, hydrogen, and helium, 63 satellites. No minions. Nope. Hazel put her arm around Ella's wings. She seemed to be the only one who could touch the harpy without causing lots of screaming and twitching. Frank stayed at Percy's side. He held his spear ready as if the old man might charge them. Percy brought out the ceramic vials. I have a different wager. We've got two flags of Gorgon's blood. One kills and one heals. They looked exactly the same. Even we don't know which one is which. If you choose the right one, it could cure your blindness. Phineas held out his hands eagerly. Let me feel them. Let me smell them. 
Not so fast, Percy said. First you agree to the terms. Terms. Phineas was breathing shallowly. Percy could tell he was hungry to take the offer. Prophecy and sight? I'd be unstoppable. I could own this city. I could build my palace here, surrounded by food trucks. I could capture that harpy myself. No, Ella said nervously. Nope, nope, nope. A villainous laugh is hard to pull off when you're wearing pink bunny slippers, but Phineas gave it his best shot. (laughs) Very well, demigod. What are your terms? You get to choose a vial, Percy said. No uncorking, no sniffing before you decide. That's not fair! I'm blind! And I don't have your sense of smell, Percy countered. You can hold the vials, and I'll swear on the river sticks that they look identical. They're exactly what I told you. Gorgon's blood. One vial from the left side of the monster, one from the right. And I swear that none of us knows which is which. Percy looked at Hazel. Uh, you're, uh, our underworld expert. Um, with, with all this, uh, weird stuff going on with, uh, death, uh, is an oath on the river sticks still binding? Yes, she said without hesitation. To break such a vow, we'll just don't do it. There are worse things than death. Phineas stroked his beard. So I choose which vial to drink. You have to drink the other one. We swear to drink at the same time. Right, Percy said. The loser dies, obviously, Phineas said. That kind of poison would probably keep even me from coming back to life, for a long time at least. My essence will be scattered and degraded, so I'm risking quite a lot. But if you win, you get everything, Percy said. If I die, my friends will swear to leave you in peace and not take revenge. You'd have your side back, which you and Gaya won't give you. The old man's expression soured. Percy could tell he'd struck a nerve. Phineas wanted to see. As much as Gaia had given him, he resented being kept in the dark. If I lose, the old man said, I'll be dead, unable to give you information. How does that help you? Percy was glad he talked this through with his friends ahead of time. Frank had suggested the answer. You write down the location of Alcyonius's lair ahead of time, Percy said. Keep it to yourself, but swear on the river sticks it's specific and accurate. You also have to swear that if you lose and die, the harpies will be, will be released from their curse. Those are high stakes, Phineas grumbled. You face death, Percy Jackson. Wouldn't it be simpler just to hand over the harpy? Not an option. Phineas smiled slowly. So you are starting to understand her worth. Once I have my sight, I will capture her myself, you know. Whoever controls that harpy. Well, I was a king once. This Campbell could make me a king again. You're getting ahead of yourself, Percy said. Do we have a deal? Phineas tapped his nose thoughtfully. I can't foresee the outcome. Annoying how that works. A completely unexpected gamble. It makes the future cloudy. But I can tell you this, Percy Jackson, a bit of free advice. If you survive today, you're not going to like your future. A big sacrifice is coming, and you won't have the courage to make it. That will cost you dearly. It will cost the world dearly. It might be easier if you just choose the poison. Percy's mouth tasted like Iris's sour green tea. He wanted to think the old man was just psyching him out. But something told him the prediction was true. He remembered Juno's warnings when he'd chosen to go to Camp Jupiter. You'll feel pain, misery, and loss beyond anything you've ever known. But you might have a chance to save your old friends and family. 
In the trees around the parking lot, the harpies gathered to watch as if they sensed what was at stake. Frank and Hazel studied Percy's face with concern. He assured them the odds weren't as bad as 50-50. He did have a plan. Of course, the plan could backfire. His chance of survival might be 100% or zero. He had to mention that. Do we have a deal? He asked again. Phineas grinned. I swear on the river sticks to abide by the terms, just as you have described them. Frank Zhang, you're the descendant of an Argonaut. I trust your word. If I win, do you and your friend Hazel swear to leave me in peace and not seek revenge? Frank's hands were clenched so tight, Percy thought he might break his gold spear. But he managed to grumble. I swear it on the river sticks. I also swear, Hazel said. Swear, Ella muttered. Swear not by the moon, the inconsistent, inconstant moon. Phineas laughed. <laughs> In that case, find me something to write with. Let's get started. Frank borrowed a napkin and a pen from a food truck vendor. Phineas scribbled something on the napkin and put it in his bathrobe pocket. I swear this is the location of Alcyonius's lair. Not that you'll live long enough to read it. Percy drew his sword and swept all the food off the table. Phineas sat on the table. Percy sat on the other. Phineas held out his hands. Let me feel the vials. Percy gazed at the hills in the distance. He imagined the shadowy face of a sleeping woman. He sent his thoughts into the ground beneath him and hoped the goddess was listening. Okay, Gaia, he said. I'm calling your bluff. You say I'm a valuable pawn. You say you've got plans for me. And you're going to spare me until I make it north. Who's more valuable to you? Me or this old man? Because one of us is about to die. Phineas curled his fingers in a grasping motion. Losing your nerve, Percy Jackson? Let me have them. Percy passed him the vials. The old man compared their weight. He ran his fingers along the ceramic surfaces. Then he set them both on the table and rested one hand lightly on each. A tremor passed through the ground, a mild earthquake just strong enough to make Percy's teeth chatter. Ella cawed nervously. The vial on the left seemed to, sh seemed to shake slightly more than the one on the right. Phineas grinned wickedly. He closed, he closed his fingers around the left-hand vial. You are a fool, Percy Jackson. I choose this one. Now we drink. Percy took the vial on the right. His teeth were chattering. The old man raised his vial. A toast to the son of Neptune, to the sons of Neptune. They both uncorked their vials and drank. Immediately, Percy doubled over, his throat burning. His mouth tasted like gasoline. Oh, gods, Percy Hazel said behind him. Nope, Ella said. Nope, nope, nope. Percy's vision blurred. He could see Phineas grinning in triumph, sitting up straighter, blinking his eyes in anticipation. Yes, he cried. Any moment now, my sight will return. Percy had chosen, chosen wrong. He'd been stupid to take such a risk. He felt like broken glass was woking, working through its way through his stomach into his intestines. Percy! Frank gripped his shoulders. Percy, you can't die! His ga he gasped for breath, and suddenly his vision cleared. At the same moment, Phineas hunched over like he'd been punched. You... You can't! The old man wailed. Gaia! You... You... He staggered to his feet and stumbled away from the table, clutching his stomach. I'm too valuable! Steam came out of his mouth. A sickly yellow vapor rose from his ears, his beard, his blind eyes. 
Unfair! He screamed. You tricked me! He tried to claw the piece of paper out of his robe pocket, but his hands crumbled, his fingers turning into sand. Percy rose unsteadily. He didn't feel cured of anything in particular. His memory hadn't magically returned, but the pain had stopped. No one tricked you, Percy said. You made your choice freely, and I hold you to your oath. The blind king wailed in agony. He turned in a circle, steaming and slowly disintegrating until there was nothing left but an old stained bathrobe and a pair of bunny slippers. Those, Frank said, are the most disgusting spoils of war ever. A woman's voice spoke in Percy's mind. I gamble, Percy Jackson. It was a wheezy, sleepy whisper with just a hint of grudging admiration. You forced me to choose and you are more important to my plans than the old seer. But do not press your luck. When your death comes, I promise it will be much more painful than Gorgon's blood. Hazel prodded the robe with her sword. There was nothing underneath. No sign that Phineas was trying to reform. She looked at Percy in awe. That was either the bravest thing I've ever seen or the stupidest. Frank shook his head head in disbelief. Percy, how did you know? You were so confident he'd choose the poison. Gaia, Percy said. She wants me to make it to Alaska. She thinks... I'm not sure. She thinks she can use me as a part of her plan. She influenced Phineas to choose the wrong vial. Frank stared in horror at the remains of the old man. Gaia would kill her own servant rather than you? That's what you are betting on? Plans, Ella muttered. Plans and plots. The, the lady in the ground. Big plans for, Mer- for Percy. Macrobiotic jerky for Ella. Percy handed her the whole bag of jerky and she squeaked with joy. Nope, nope, nope. She muttered, half singing. Phineas, nope. Foods and words for Ella. Yep. Percy crouched over the bathrobe and pulled the old man's note out of the pocket. It read, Hubbard Glacier. All that risk for two words. He handed the note to Hazel. I know where that is, she said. It's pretty famous, but we've got a long, long way to go. In the trees around the parking lot, the other harpies finally overcame their shock. They squawked with excitement and flew at the nearest food trucks, diving through the service window and raiding the kitchens. Cooks shouted in many languages. Trucks shook back and forth. Feathers and food boxes flew everywhere. We'd better get back to the boat. Percy said. We're running out of time. And that's the end of chapter 28? I saw the the chapter and it was apparently 28. I may have been a bit off in the beginning. But yeah, that was chapter 28. That was definitely a very interesting chapter. And at first, my prediction for this chapter would be that Percy would just actually choose the right vial and Phineas would choose the wrong one and Gaia would have nothing to do with it but apparently Gaia did have something to do with it and I think that's a really that that was something that surprised me the most but I really wonder what Gaia really wants from Percy like what value does she see in him well we already know that Percy is pretty strong but what value does she see in him that will help her so I think this entire plan that Gaia has and the 
and how the trio is trying to figure it out is really fascinating to me. So after this break, we're going to read chapter 29, see how their journey to Hubbard Glacier is going to go. And yeah, so after the break, we'll read chapter 29, Hazel. And we're back from the ads, and now we're going to read chapter 29, Hazel. Even before she got on the boat, Hazel felt queasy. She kept thinking about Phineas with steam coming out of his eyes, his hands crumbling to dust. Percy had assured her that she wasn't like Phineas, but she was. She'd done something even worse than torment harpies. You started this whole thing, Phineas had said. If it weren't for you, Alcyonius would not, wouldn't be alive. As the boat sped down the Columbia River, Hazel tried to forget. She helped Ella make a nest out of old books and magazines they liberated from the library's recycling bin. They hadn't really planned on taking a harpy with them, but Ella acted like the matter was decided. Friends, she muttered. Ten seasons, 1994 to 2004. Friends melt Phineas and give Ella jerky. Ella will go with her friends. Now she was roosting comfortably in the stern, nibbling beats of, uh, bits of jerky and reciting random lines from Charles Dickens and Fifty Tricks to Teach Your Dogs. Percy knelt in the bow, steering them toward the ocean with his freaky mind over water powers. Hazel sat next to Frank on the center bench, their shoulders touching, which made her feel as jittery as a harpy. She remembered how Frank stood up for her in Portland, shou- shouting, She's a good person! Like he was ready to take on anybody who denied it. She remembered the way he had looked on the hillside in Mendocino. Alone in a clearing of poisoned grass with a spear in hand. Fires burning all around him and the ashes of three basilisks at his feet. A week ago, if someone had suggested that Frank was a child of Mars, Hazel would have laughed. Frank was much too sweet and gentle for that. She'd always felt protective of him because of his clumsiness and his knack for getting into trouble. Since they left camp, she saw him differently. He had more courage than she'd realized. He was the one looking out for her. She had to admit that the change was kind of nice. The river widened into the ocean. The packs turned north. As they sailed, Frank kept her spirits up by telling her silly jokes. Why did the miniature cross across the road? How many fawns does it take to change a light bulb? He pointed out buildings along the coastline that reminded him of places in Vancouver. The sky started to darken, the sea turning the same rusty color as Ella's wings. June 21st was almost over. The Feast of Fortuna would happen in the evening, exactly 72 hours from now. Finally, Frank brought out some food from his pack. Sodas and muffins he scavenged from Phineas's table. He passed them around. It's okay, Hazel, he said quietly. My mom used to say you shouldn't try to carry a problem alone. But if you don't talk, want to talk about it, that's okay. Hazel took a shaky breath. She was afraid to talk, not just because she was embarrassed. She didn't want to black out and slip into the past. You were right, she said. When you guessed I came back from the underworld, I, I'm an escapee. I shouldn't be alive. She felt like a dam had been broken. The story flooded out. She explained how her mother had summoned Pluto and fallen in love with the god. She explained her mother's wish for all the riches in the earth and how that turned into Hazel's curse. She described her life in New Orleans, everything except her boyfriend, Sammy. Looking at Frank, she couldn't bring herself to talk about that. She described the voice and how Gaia had slowly taken over her mother's mind. 
She explained how they had moved to Alaska, how Hazel had helped to raise the giant Alcyonius, and how she had died, sinking the island into Resurrection Bay. She knew Percy and Ella were listening, but she spoke mostly to Frank. When she had finished, she was afraid to look at him. She waited for him to move away from her, maybe tell her she was a monster after all. Instead, he took her hand. You sacrificed yourself to stop the giant from waking. I could never be that brave. She felt her pulse throbbing in her neck. It wasn't bravery. I let my mother die. I cooperated with Gaia too long. I I almost let her win. Hazel, said Percy, you stood up to a goddess all by yourself. You did the right. His voice trailed off as if he'd had an unpleasant thought. What happened in the underworld? I mean, after you died. You should have gone to Elysium, but if Nico brought you back... I didn't go to Elysium. Her mouth felt dry as sand. Please don't ask. But it was too late. She remembered her descent into the darkness, her rival on the banks over the river Styx, and her consciousness began to slip. Hazel? Frank asked. Slip, sliding away, Ella muttered. Number five, you a single... Paul Simon. Frank, go with her. Simon says, Frank, go with her. Hazel had no idea what Ella was talking about, but her vision darkened as she clung to Frank's hand. She found herself back in the underworld, and this time Frank was at her side. They stood in in Karen's boat. Karen? Karen's boat, crossing the sticks. Debris swirled in the dark waters. A deflated birthday balloon, a child's pacifier, a little plastic bride and groom from the top of a cake. All the remnants of human lives cut short. Where are we? Frank stood at her side, shimmering with a ghostly purple light as if he'd become a lar. It's my past. Hazel felt strangely calm. It's just an echo, don't worry. The boatman turned and grinned. One moment he was a handsome African man (coughs) in an expensive silk suit. The next moment he was a skeleton in a dark robe. (coughs) Sorry? Of course you shouldn't worry, he said with a British accent. He addressed Hazel as if he couldn't see Frank at all. Told you I'd take you across, didn't I? It's all right, you don't have a coin. Wouldn't be proper leaving Pluto's daughter on the wrong side of the river. The boat slid onto a dark beach. Hazel led Frank to the black gates of Erebos. The spirit parted for them, sensing she was a child of Pluto. The giant three-headed dog, Cerberus, growled in the gloom, but he let them pass. Inside the gates, they walked into a large pavilion and stood before the judge's bench. Three black-robed figures in golden masks stared down at Hazel. Frank whimpered. Who? They'll decide my fate, she said watch just as before the judges asked her no questions they simply looked into her mind pulling thoughts from her head and examining them like a collection of old photos thwarted Gaia the first judge said prevented Alcyonius from waking but she raised the giant in the first place the second judge argued guilty of cowardice weakness she's young said the third judge her mother's life hung in the balance My mother, Hazel found the courage to speak. Where is she? What is her fate? 
The judges regarded her, their golden masks frozen in creepy smiles. Your mother. The image of Mary Levesque shimmered above the judges. She was frozen in time, hugging Hazel as the cave collapsed. Her eyes shut tight. An interesting question, the second judge said. The division of fault. Yes, said the first judge. The child died for a noble cause. She prevented many deaths by delaying the giant's rise. She had courage to stand against the might of Gaia. But she acted too late, the third judge said sadly. She's guilty of aiding and abetting the enemy of the gods. The mother influenced her, said the first judge. The child can have Elysium, eternal punishment for Mary Levesque. No! Hazel shouted. No, please, that's not fair. The judges tilted their heads in unison. Gold mass, Hazel thought. Gold has always been cursed for me. She wondered if the gold was poisoning their thoughts somehow, so that they would never give her a fair trial. Beware, Hazel Levesque, the first judge warned. Would you take full responsibility? You could lay this guilt on your mother's soul. That would be reasonable. You were destined for great things. Your mother diverted your path. See what you might have been. (coughs) Sorry, once again. Another image appeared above the judges. Hazel saw herself as a little girl grinning with her hands covered in finger paint. The image aged. Hazel saw herself growing up. Her hair becoming longer, her eyes sadder. She saw herself on her 13th birthday, riding across the fields on her borrowed horse. Sammy laughed as he raced after her. What are you running from? I'm not that ugly, am I? She saw herself in Alaska, trudging down 3rd Street in the snow and darkness on her way home from school. Then the image aged even more. Hazel saw herself at 20. She looked so much like her mother, her hair gathered back in braids, her golden eyes flashing with amusement. She wore a white dress. A a wedding dress? She was smiling so warmly, Hazel knew instinctively she must be looking at someone special. Someone she loved. The sight didn't make her feel better, bitter. She didn't even wonder whom she would have married. Instead, she thought, My mother would have looked like this if she'd let go of her anger. If Gaia hadn't twisted her. You lost this life, the first judge said simply. Special circumstances, Elysium for you, punishment for your mother. No, Hazel said. No, it wasn't all her fault. She was misled. She loved me. At the end, she tried to protect me. Hazel, Frank whispered, what are you doing? She squeezed his hand, urging him to be silent. The judges paid him no attention. Finally, the second judge sighed. No resolution. Not enough good. Not enough evil. The blame must be divided, the first judge agreed. Both souls will be consigned to the fields of Asphodel. I'm sorry, Hazel Levesque. You could have been a hero. She passed through the pavilion into yellow fields that went on forever. She led Frank through a crowd of spirits to a grove of black poplar trees. You gave up Elysium? Frank said in amazement. So your mother wouldn't suffer? She didn't deserve punishment, Hazel said. But what happens now? Nothing, Hazel said. Nothing. For all eternity. They drifted aimlessly. Spirits around them chattered like bats, lost and confused, not remembering their past or even their names. Hazel remembered everything. Perhaps that was because she was a daughter of Pluto, but she never forgot who she was or why she was there. 
Remembering made my afterlife harder, she told Frank, who still drifted next to her as a glowing purple lar. So many times I tried to walk to my father's palace. She pointed to a large black castle in the distance. I could never reach it. I can't leave the fields of Asphodel. Did you ever see your mother again? Hazel shook her head. She wouldn't know me. Even if I could find her, these spirits... It's like an eternal dream for them, an endless trance. This is the best I could do for her. Time was meaningless, but after an eternity, she and Frank sat together under a black poplar tree, listening to the screams from the field of punishment. The distance under the artificial sunlight of Elysium, the Isles of the Blessed, glittered like emeralds in a sparkling blue lake. White sails cut across water, and the souls of great heroes basked on the beaches in perpetual bliss. You didn't deserve Asphodel, Frank protested. You should be with the heroes. This is just an echo, Hazel said. We'll wake up, Frank. It only seems like forever. That's not the point, he protested. Your life was taken from you. You were going to grow up to be a beautiful woman. You. His face turned a darker shade of purple. You were going to marry someone, he said quietly. You would have had a good life. You lost all that. Hazel swallowed back a sob. It hadn't been this hard in Asphodel the first time, when she was on her own. Having Frank with her made her feel so much sadder, but she was determined not to get angry about her fate. Hazel thought about that image of herself as an adult, smiling and in love. She knew it wouldn't take much bitterness to sour her expression and make her look exactly like Queen Marie. I deserve better, her mother always said. Hazel couldn't allow herself to, to feel that way. I'm sorry, Frank, she said. I think your mother was wrong. Sometimes sharing your problem doesn't make it easier to carry. But it does. Frank slipped his hand into his coat pocket. In fact, since we've got eternity to talk, there's something I want to tell you. He brought out an object wrapped in cloth, about the same size as a pair of glasses. When he unfolded it, Hazel saw a half-burned piece of driftwood glowing with purple light. She frowned. What is... Then the truth hit her, as cold and harsh as a blast of winter wind. Phineas said your life depends on a burned stick. It's true, Frank said. This is my lifeline, literally. He told her how the goddess Juno had appeared when he was a baby. His grandmother had snatched the piece of wood from the fireplace. Grandmother said I had gifts, some talent we got from our ancestor, the Argonaut. That and my dad's being Mars. He shrugged. I'm supposed to be too powerful or something. That's why my life can burn up so easily. Iris said I would die holding this, watching it burn. Frank turned the piece of tinder in his fingers. Even in his ghostly purple form, he looked so big and sturdy. Hazel figured he would be huge when he was an adult, as strong and healthy as an ox. She couldn't believe his life depended on a, something as small as a stick. Frank, how can you carry it around with you? She asked. Aren't you terrified something will happen to it? That's why I'm telling you. He held out the firewood. I know it's a lot to ask, but would you keep it for me? Hazel's head spun. Until now, she'd accepted Frank's presence in her blackout. She'd led him along, numbly replaying her past, because it seemed only fair to show him the truth. 
But now she wondered if Frank was really experiencing this with her, or if she was imagining his presence. Why would he trust her with his life? Frank, she said, you know who I am. I'm Pluto's daughter. Everything I touch goes wrong. Why would you trust me? You're my best friend. He placed the firewood in her hands. I trust you more than anybody. She wanted to tell him that he was making a mistake. She wanted to give it back, but before she could say anything, a shadow fell over them. A ride is here, Frank guessed. Hazel had almost forgotten she was reliving her past. Nico D'Angelo stood over her in his black overcoat, his Stygian iron sword at his side. He didn't notice Frank, but he locked eyes with Hazel and seemed to read her whole life. You're different, he said. A child of Pluto, you remember your past. Yes, Hazel said, and you're alive. Nico studied her like he was reading a menu, deciding whether or not to order. I'm Nico D'Angelo, he said. I came looking for my sister. Death has gone missing, so I thought I thought I could bring her back and no one would notice. Back to life? Hazel asked. Is that possible? It should have been, Nico sighed. But she's gone. She chose to be reborn into a new life. I'm too late. I'm sorry. He held out his hand. You're my sister too. You deserve another chance. Come with me. And that's the end of chapter 29. That was a pretty interesting chapter. We finally got to see the backstory of Hazel's, um, you know, story when she went to the underworld after the cave collapsed and what happened to her mom. And I feel like it was so selfless and the amount of love that Hazel has for her mom to argue with the three judges to at least give a lighter punishment for her mom because she didn't do anything wrong. Because she's just been so rude to Hazel because she was manipulated by Gaia. So it wasn't technically her fault. And when she realized it, she tried to protect her in the best way she could. So I think that that was really amazing about Hazel. And I feel like that was such an amazing thing that she did. And I feel like that would that, that her telling this to Frank, it's really going to strengthen their relationship a lot. And the fact that Frank chose Hazel as the one who was going to like keep take care of the tinder i feel like their their bond between each other has just amplified to like an extreme so i feel like the relationship between these two has really gone far and i feel like i i'm really happy to see where it's gonna go and uh, as for the pronunciations go um i i do apologize um i'm still trying to you know improve on them so if i did uh, mess up on a few words here and there um i will keep trying my best to improve on them and um yeah so if you guys really enjoyed this episode uh my patreon and this podcast as a whole my patreon is located in the description of the podcast it would be awesome if you guys could donate which is but totally fine if you can't it's just optional um so yeah, that is chapter 28 and 29. I can't wait to see what happens when um, we see more We see more of the uh, trip and the journey. And I feel like, yeah, I think I also kind of appreciate Nico. I feel like his character has really changed from the first series because I feel like he was really grief. He, was, he had a lot of grief about Bianca. And I feel like him getting over that, him finding closure and the fact that she chose to be reborn, I feel like that really helped him. And I think that 
it's really going to uh, his character development is something I really admire so yeah next week we're gonna read chapter 30 to 31 I believe and we're gonna see more about this journey and possibly more about Hazel's backstory so until next week stay safe and stay out of boredom